Thank you very much. We'll look forward to continuing to work with you as we contemplate some legislation to address some of the issues that continue to come before the committee. Thank you both for coming. Thank today. you, Mr. Chairman. Our next panel is Mr. Walter Graves, the Tribal Administrator of the Guidaville Band of Pomo Indians, the Honorable Christine Norris, the Principal Chief of the Jenna Band of Choctaw Indians, the Honorable John Barnett, the Chairman of the Cowlitz Indian Tribe, and the Honorable Charles D. Enyart, Chief of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma. As you take your seats, I would like to say, uh, Chief Norris, I have read your testimony, and let me make a couple of points for the record. First, this hearing is not about Jack Abramoff. Please be seated. First, this, this hearing is not about Jack Abramoff or the investigation this committee is conducting into his activities. Second, I'm particularly concerned about the possibility that this hearing may be used to cast aspersions on the integrity of, in particular, the senator from Louisiana. To assure that there will be no further discussion of this issue, I will say the following. Incidental to its reviews of matters within its jurisdiction, the committee has, been ab has seen absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Senator Vitter's opposition to the Jenna Band's attempt to obtain a gaming facility in Louisiana had to do with anything other than his longstanding principled opposition to the expansion of gaming in that state. I'd like to make that very clear. We'll begin with you, Mr. Gray, and thank you, witnesses, for coming. And uh, all four written statements will be made part of the record. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Chairman. I'm Walter Gray, and I serve as the Tribal Administrator for the Yudiville Band of Pomo Indians of California. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to testify this morning. The Giddyville Band was illegally terminated and is now seeking to restore its land base. We believe that the restored land's provisions of IGRA work, and we are here to explain why. Historically, the Pomos used an occupied land that extends from the San Francisco Bay Area north to what is now Mendocino County. In 1851, the Pomos entered into a treaty with the United States, ceding over two million acres of land in exchange for a reservation of 254,000 acres. Unfortunately, at the request of the state of California, these treaties were never ratified, and the Pomos, as well as the majority of other California Indians tribes were left landless and without means of support. The California Indian population was decimated by the deliberate policies of the state of California. As a result, the California Indian population, estimated to be 200,000 at the time of statehood in 1850, was reduced to a mere 15,000 by the year 1900. In 1915, the Giddyville Rancheria was established by the federal government. However, in 1962, the Rancheria was illegally terminated. In 1987, before passage of the IGRA, the tribe filed its lawsuit challenging the federal government's actions. In 1991, a federal court reversed the wrongful termination, but to date, no significant funds have been appropriated for the tribe to reestablish the lands which were wrongfully taken. When Congress enacted IGRA in 1988, it understood that there were tribes like Giddyville who were terminated and landless at the time of its passage. 
We believe the exceptions in IGRA demonstrate Congress's commitment to treat tribes equally. As a restored tribe struggling to reestablish a land base and achieve economic self-sufficiency, we applaud Congress's concern about equity when enacting IGRA, and we urge this committee not to lose sight of this concern. As the federal courts have held, the exceptions in IGRA serve purposes of their own, ensuring that tribes lacking reservations when IGRA was enacted are not disadvantaged relative to more established ones. The tribe is now faced with the daunting task of restoring its land base. Eudeville has looked hard for nearly a decade to find lands in what may be the most expensive market to purchase lands in the continental United States. Recently, the tribe has found land which it can purchase, the now-closed Naval Fuel Depot in Richmond, California. The site is several hundred acres and will allow for open spaces and parks, gaming, hotel and retail facilities, and land for tribal administrative and cultural uses. Giddyville has worked with the City of Richmond in a transparent process. The City of Richmond held five public hearings with regard to our uh, purchase of the land. This land acquisition will restore the tribe's terminated lands, remediate the environmental contamination on the land resulting from the Navy's use of the property, and produce over 6,000 jobs to help revitalize the local community. We think that the Congress may be interested in how we have structured our contractual agreement with the City of Richmond. This agreement affords other tribes, local governments, and California citizens the same level of legal protections as non-tribal developments in California. Most importantly, we have accomplished this without infringing upon the sovereignty of the tribe or the city of Richmond. Though there may be a number of gaming projects that have been proposed, few will meet the high standards required by the federal agencies. We believe that the current regulatory process is rigorous and will safeguard against ill-conceived projects. Interior and the National Indian Gaming Commission require that a restored tribe show historic and contemporary ties to the land in order for the land to qualify as restored. To our knowledge, there are no gaming projects that have been built after restored lands approval that are causing any significant public policy problem. In short, the restored lands provisions of IGRA work. They are not broken, nor will they result in the proliferation of tribal gaming facilities. Illegally terminated tribes like Giddyville did not choose to be terminated nor did they choose to lose their lands. Left to find a solution for ourselves, the Giddyville tribe has decided to use tribal governmental gaming as a tool to acquire a land base. We are not here today to ask that the law be changed to benefit the Giddyville Band of Como Indians. We are here to let you know that the current law can and does work and that the Giddyville Band should in all fairness be allowed to complete the restoration of its lands. I would, it would simply be unfair to change the rules when the tribe is so close to correcting the wrong that was perpetrated 40 years ago when the tribe was illegally terminated. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Honorable Christine Norris, welcome. Mr. Chairman, thank you for giving thank me you this opportunity.
Thank you for giving me this opportunity to come before you. My name is Christine Norris, and I'm tribal chief of the Juna Band of Choctaw Indians. I have been privileged to serve for the past 30 years in the tribal government of my tribe. I thank you for letting me share with you briefly our experience with the Feeder Trust process and EGRA Section 20 process. The Gina Band was recognized through the Interior's federal acknowledgement process in 1995. Because we were a landless tribe, all of our lands that were sought were considered off-reservation. The majority of our tribal members live within the three parishes designated by the Bureau of Indian Affairs as the Gina Band service area. The Gina Band needs a reservation land base where we can provide health, housing, education benefits, social services, as well as land to develop a gaming facility for my tribe. Because my tribe has almost no other means to generate revenue to fund our government. After recognition, we began to work to identify lands within our service area that could be proclaimed our reservation. However, the three parishes that compose our service area lie within a very conservative, a very religious part of our state. All three of these parishes voted out gaming in a referendum. Because of this referendum, former Governor Mike Foster refused to negotiate a gaming compact for a facility located within this three-parish service area. He threatened to actively oppose our efforts to acquire trust land for non-gaming purposes within our service area if we persisted in locating a gaming facility. He insisted that we find an alternative parcel in a parish that supported gaming. In order to cooperate with the government, with our governor, we worked to identify an alternative site uh, for our gaming facility outside the service area. This was not an effort to form shop that we have been accused of. To even address um, Senator Vitter's comments about the Gina Band looking to Texas, looking to Mississippi, we did and accept an invitation from um, Chief Philip Martin of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw to come to his state in a collaborative effort to look at gaming with his tribe. This did not work out. We did uh, look at areas in Texas. We do say that this was a mistake on our part. We were beginning to worry that we would never find a place to establish a gaming facility. We are pleased that Interior is drafting regulations to governing Section 20 exceptions. This will give newly recognized tribes much better guidance as to what is deemed acceptable. This was no such guidance, uh, or there was not a clear guidance 10 years ago when we started this process. To work with the governor, we satisfied three criteria that he had. He said the land had to be not too distant from our service area, the land had to be within a parish that supported gaming, and our project in particular, the land had to be within an area with which we could demonstrate a historical Choctaw connection. We did this in Logansport, Louisiana. We located, Logansport is located approximately 64 miles from our service area. Our land there was located in our area with strong Choctaw historical connections. The local municipal and parish governments supported us with our facility there. We applied to the Department of Interior asking that the Logansport land, along with several other non-gaming parcels, 
located within our service area be taken into trust and proclaimed to be our reservation. In addition, we submitted extensive documentation demonstrating that the Logansport parcel also met the requirements for restored lands exception in IGRA. However, the department declined to accept the Logansport parcel into trust as part of our initial reservation. It also declined to issue an opinion as to whether the Logansport parcel qualified for the restored lands exception. Rather, Interior suggested that it would consider our Logansport request under IGRA's two-part determination exception. At great expense to the tribe, we submitted such an application to the department. Governor Foster repeatedly expressed his support for our two-part application to the tribe, to Interior, throughout the media in Louisiana. With that support, Interior issued a positive two-part determination in December of 2003. To our disappointment and surprise, Governor Foster left office a few weeks later without concurring with the Secretary's determination. Immediately after Governor Kathleen Blanco took office, I asked to meet with her about the two-part determination and about a gaming compact. Fifteen months later, Governor Blanco sent the tribe a letter stating that she would not support the establishment of another gambling casino. A few weeks before we received the governor's letter, Senator Vitter had come out in the media warning her not to sign a compact with the Gina Band, whether for Logansport or any other area even located in our service area. It appears, or I feel like, the governor's response was influenced by Senator Vitter. He further urged the governor not to negotiate with the tribe in good faith pursuant to IGRA. Senator Vitter has been a constant and vocal opponent of our efforts in establishing a gaming facility. He put language to be included in the Interior's appropriation report that would have prevented Interior from acquiring land for us. He's introduced legislation designed to ensure that we will never have the opportunity to engage in the same economic endeavor that has been allowed the other three federally recognized tribes in Louisiana and 16 non-Indian gaming facilities in Louisiana. His bill eliminates the initial reservation exception altogether. In its place, he inserts a provision that would require the Gina Band and other newly recognized federal acknowledgement process tribes to satisfy a modified version of the two-part determination. It would require showing that the proposed gaming facility would have no impact whatsoever on a surrounding local tribal or state government. This bill also requires the preparation of a costly environmental impact statement, regardless of whether the impact of the proposed casino is expected to be significant or not. This requirement is contrary to NEPA's general approach of first preparing an environmental assessment to determine whether preparation of an EIS is necessary. Finally, Senator Vitter's proposed legislation attempts to rewrite state law for Louisiana and all the other states by mandating that the tribal state gaming compact be approved by both the governor and the state legislature. Every existing tribal state compact in Louisiana was executed by the governor without approval of the state legislature. 
We respectfully ask that Congress reject these proposed amendments to Section 20, its initial reservation exception, and instead please consider some small amendments that would make it more fair and efficient. First, Congress, we ask, impose hard deadlines on the Department of Interior for taking land into trust for landless tribes. No tribe in the United States is more needy or is more worthy of the Department's focus and prioritization than a landless tribe, which has survived decades in the federal acknowledgement process. Congressional direction requiring early designation of a service area and strict time deadlines for initial land acquisition would also go a long way to taking out some of this politics that is fostered by letting fee-to-trust and reservation proclamations linger for, for extended periods of time. My second request is that Congress amend the initial reservation exception to clarify that the first parcel or parcels of land taken into trust by the Secretary shall be automatically deemed the newly recognized FAP tribe's initial reservation. This would spare tribes like ours the great expense and the frustration of being made to jump through the hoops that serves no purpose other than to further delay the day when we are put on a level playing field with other tribes. With these constructive changes, Congress can help not hinder newly federalized, federally recognized tribes. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you this morning. Thank you very much. The Honorable John Barnett, welcome. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman McCain, Vice Chairman Dorgan, and respected members of this committee, I thank you for the opportunity to testify this morning. Mr. Chairman, as you have spent your whole life serving our country, I have spent my whole life serving my tribe. I devoted almost a third of my life to the fight to regain recognition for the Cowles tribe through Interior's federal acknowledgement process. I've traveled to Washington, D.C. more than 50 times over the last quarter century to represent my people before the federal government, and I have paid for those trips out of my own pocket. Now I have one last goal. One last promise to my people, to regain a homeland that we, so that we may live and prosper on our own lands as our ancestors did before our land was taken from us. Maybe then they'll let me retire. <clears throat> For this reason, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to share our views about the crucial importance of IGRA's initial reservation exception. When Congress passed IGRA in 1988, it understood that newly recognized tribes would be unfairly disadvantaged and thus carved out a limited exception that allows these newly acknowledged tribes to conduct gaming on their initial reservation, just as if that reservation had been in existence in 1988. <clears throat> By doing so, Congress tried to put newly acknowledged tribes on a level playing field with previously recognized tribes. However, newly acknowledged tribes are significantly disadvantaged in the current feed-of-trust process. The Calots emerged penniless from decades of struggling through the Bureau's administrative recognition process, only to find that they have no reservation from which to generate revenue to run social health and governmental services for our people, or on which to conduct the only form of economic development which almost universally has been proven to be successful, Indian gaming. As a result, the Calots and other newly acknowledged tribes are immediately thrust 
into the political controversy surrounding off-reservation land acquisition and Indian gaming. Consider this. Interior's off-reservation fee-to-trust regulations simply were not drafted with landless, newly recognized tribes in mind. Among other things, those off-reservation regulations specifically give greater weight to the views of the local jurisdictions in which the land is located. Consider further that either the community is generally opposed to gaming and so it will fight the tribe's feet of trust acquisition or the community may support gaming, in which case there likely are established competing gaming interests that will devote significant financial and political resources to fighting the newly recognized tribe's proposed land acquisition. This presents a terrible no-one situation for the newly recognized tribes. <clears throat> the Chalice tribe has worked hard navigating the feeder crest process in an honorable way. We chose a parcel of land located within the service area designated exclusively Chalice by both HUD and IHS so it is well placed to serve the modern day needs of tribal members who live in the surrounding area. We chose a parcel squarely located within an area where we have strong historical ties, ties that are documented in the Bureau of Indian Affairs recognition documents and in our Indian Claims Commission land claim litigation. We chose a parcel in a local community that has demonstrated its tolerance for gaming by allowing four non-Indian card rooms to operate there. Our choosing a parcel of land with which we have demonstrated modern and historical connections and which is located in a community tolerant of gaming cannot fairly be called reservation shopping. Congress needs to reject proposed amendments to Section 20 that would eviscerate the initial reservation exception. I would respect, respectfully suggest a few improvements to the current initial reservation provision. First, newly acknowledged tribes currently must apply for a reservation proclamation pursuant to Section 7 of the Indian Reorganization Act before we may game on that trust land. Did Congress really intend to impose this additional administrative hurdle on newly recognized tribes? We ask that Congress clarify that the first land taken into trust under the exception automatically becomes the tribe's initial reservation so that the tribe is not subjected to yet another expensive, time-consuming process. Second, Congress should impose time deadlines on interiors processing of feeder trust and Section 20 applications. The process now takes years to complete and costs millions of dollars. We think the only way to protect the integrity of the system is to require interior to make decisions within two years, within two years of receiving the application. In closing, I would like to recognize the Snoqualmie tribe from Washington State, whose Chief Jerry Ennick is sitting behind me today. The Snoqualmie, too, are a landless, newly recognized tribe, struggling with many of the same land acquisition issues as do we. In addition, I would like to recognize Mark Brown, Chairman of the Mohegan Tribe, and Tribal Councilman Bruce Two Dog Bozum, the Mohegan tribe completed the federal acknowledgement process 10 years before we did, and today they are working with us to reinvest in Indian country. We hope that our partnership will show that Indian tribes can and will reach out to help each other. 
I would hope that the Mohegan's example will encourage other successful tribes to help those who are less fortunate. All my life I have served my tribe in the pursuit of what is right and what is just. I have grown old, but my purpose is not complete. That day will come when the Kalos have a federally protected homeland that will ensure a brighter day for our future generations. The Kalos tribe thanks you for the opportunity to provide this testimony, and we offer our continuing assistance to the committee as it considers whether and or how to amend Section 20 of IGRA. Thank you. Thank you very much, the Honorable Charles Inyard. Welcome. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, uh, I have a oral testimony here, but with your permission, I would like to address a couple comments that the Senator from Ohio made at the end of this, if if if, if I may. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Kane. My name is Charles Inyard. I am the Chief of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma, a federally recognized tribe whose aboriginal homeland was in what is now the state of Ohio. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today to explain the importance of our land claims in Ohio for our people. I am here for three reasons. One, to ensure that we have the opportunity to return to our aboriginal homeland in present-day Ohio. Two, to ensure that we have the same rights as other Indian tribes to conduct Indian gaming on our lands under current laws. Three, to advocate for the rights of tribes, states, and local communities to work together for their mutual benefit. The Shawnee want to return to Ohio. Our historic and cultural ties to Ohio are undeniable. 150 years ago, the tribe was driven out of its homeland in the state of Ohio. Violence against our people, destructive raids, and the burning of Shawnee Indian villages by the United States Army was methodical. The unauthorized taking of the Shawnee lands by encroaching settlers occurred. Our people were forcibly removed from their villages and sent to reservations, first in Ohio, then in Missouri, and ultimately Oklahoma. It was an ugly and shameful time in American history in which our people endured unspeakable fear, intimidation, and military violence by the United States in the early Ohio's. When we returned to Ohio, we wish to do so on the same legal basis as other federally recognized tribes. That is, we want the right to conduct activities on our land that would be permissible for any other recognized tribe anywhere in the United States. We do not want to return as a second-class citizen by only being allowed to conduct certain activities. Thus, we would strongly oppose any legislation that would bar a federally recognized tribe with legitimate claims from regaining land in this historical area and using that land for any permissible tribal activities, including gaming. I'm sure you would agree that to bar a tribe such as the Shawnee from using any land it may gain in its aboriginal homeland for federal recognized purposes would create a group of second-class Indians who were only allowed to do limited things on that land. It is clear the people of Ohio are receptive to the establishment of Indian lands and Indian gaming. They desire the introduction of gaming for the unquestioned economic benefits that it produces. There are many reasons for them to prefer game, Indian gaming over alternatives. First, there are numerous controls on the scope of tribal gaming, which diminish the potential for uncontrolled expansion. Only so many tribes have a historical 
or cultural connection to any given state. Second, tribal gaming revenues, as a better law, may only be extended for social benefits purposes approved by Congress. Commercial gaming only benefits private interests. In stark contrast, tribal gaming lives entire communities out of poverty, educates children who once had little hope for higher education, builds schools, roads, bridges, fund law enforcement, and emergency services, preserve language and cultures, build clinics and hospitals, and provide dialysis and diabetic centers and furnish funds, charitable activities of every kind. Gaming has yielded economic benefits to our tribe. Until very recently, our historic legacy was one of poverty and isolation. Left virtually landless for over a century and a half, our people had very little realistic hope that things would ever improve. Like other tribes in similar circumstances, we had no economy and no tax base. Any gaming has changed our bleak outlook as to our future. The revenues from our modest gaming operation, Bordertown Casino, located in West Central Oklahoma, has provided us the means to make improvements in the lives of our people and to rekindle the hope for a better life for our children and grandchildren. However, the rural character of the land we now occupy, combined with the economic conditions in the surrounding area, severely restricts our economic potential. A lot of the Eastern Shawnee people has improved, but we have a long way to go to achieve the level of prosperity that once was ours. Our interest in returning to Ohio is to establish a mutual benefit political and economic relationship with the state of Ohio and the communities that have reached out to us with a vision of what is possible. We do not wish to fully resolve our outstanding, we do wish to fully resolve our outstanding land claims but not in a manner that will be detrimental to the people of Ohio. Those with whom we have established a relationship understand our intentions and have welcomed us into our community to discuss the potential for tribal gaming. In fact, local communities in the state of Ohio have recently sought out the tribe and asked us if they could help bring the Shawnee back to our homeland. We are committed to working through appropriate governmental channels in Ohio to ensure that we are welcomed back to our homeland. On June 27, 2005, we filed a valid land claim in federal court in Ohio. The tribe brought the action to vindicate our aboriginal land rights. We further seek damages for wrongful possession and trespass on our former reservation lands in Ohio. These violations continue today. The tribe has sought redress for these wrongs from the state of Ohio. The state of Ohio has refused to take any action to redress these wrongs or even discuss the matter with us. We had no choice but to take our valid claims to the court for redress. The fullest explanation of these claims is contained in material from our attorneys, which I have submitted with my written remarks for the record. Tribes with legitimate claims should be allowed to regain portions of their homeland and should be allowed to enter into agreements, including gaming agreements that promote economic development and benefit tribe, tribal, state, and local economics. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for this chance to testify to the committee. And again, with your permission, if I may address a couple of comments. Uh, Senator made a comment about secret negotiations. Senator, there's been no secret negotiation. It's been in the newspaper. It's all over TV in Ohio. Uh, we talked about the agreements we have with certain communities. That is true. Only We have four 
only one of them agreements did we pursue ourselves. The other three pursued us, these communities. And he also talked about economic blackmail. Senator, our, our land claim has never been intended to be blackmailed. We have been up front with the state of Ohio. In fact, I have mailed, I think it was in April, a letter to the governor, Governor Taft, and to uh, the Attorney General Petro, explaining we would like to meet with them and discuss our land claim and see if there's something we could work out. At no time was this blackmail.